Welcome to the Talking Recruitment Podcast from the REC. Every week we look at all the latest insights, perspectives and experiences from across our diverse recruitment industry. Hello everyone and welcome along to the latest edition of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. My name is Neil Carberry, I'm the REC Chief Executive. Pleasure to have you along for another episode of the pod. Busy start uh, to the month of March at the REC, obviously still talking to government, to clients and to everyone out there about our recruitment and recovery report launched uh, on the 18th of February, real as, uh, centerpiece for the REC's campaigning and representation this year about the importance of the industry and what it drives in terms of productivity and inclusion, both for clients and for candidates and for the whole British economy. It already definitely uh, seeing our uh, media and government uh, impact rising. Uh, had an opportunity to go in on the 18th of February to number 10 and discuss the report with uh, Boris's team there, which was fantastic. But also we've seen some uh, great coverage in the media across the board. Uh, as a joke, I, uh, I often say we got a bit of coverage in the super Trumpy One American News and we got a bit of coverage in the Morning Star and everything in between. So uh, I, I think a really a positive message about the industry out there and of course making sure that we're helping uh, REC members through the pack that we put on the website but also in the work we're doing to talk to clients about the importance of uh, doing recruitment well throughout the rest of the year. So big focus for us there. Definitely seeing that reflected in people coming to us for comments on things like the budget on the 3rd of March. Uh, quite a surprising uh, budget I think in some ways. The, the Chancellor are very committed to keeping the support going uh, through the uh, pandemic period and into the recovery. But I think a uh, big focus on the level of tax increases and the uh, and uh, spending cuts that have been hinted at uh, both in the speech and in the Red Book that was published alongside the budget. Big challenges coming in terms of the scale of the the state and I think lots to work on to make sure that we're driving the economy to afford uh, the uh, spending that we've that has been put in place during the pandemic. Very important I think that there was relatively little on critical issues like the skills transition and we challenged uh, the uh, the Treasury on that after the budget and it's something that we're looking to pick up with government uh, particularly around reforming that apprenticeship levy in, in the next few weeks and months. In terms of your REC data, uh, on the 5th of March, we saw the February report on jobs published. Uh, some uh, good data there. Again, backing up our sense that we get both from anecdote, from all of you, from members, uh, and also from the surveys that the January and February lockdown, while much stricter than the one in November and into December, more like the one in spring last year, has had nothing like the level of effect on hiring. While there has been a bit of a pause, Temporary hiring still well ahead, still rising. Permanent hiring dropping a little bit, but nowhere near the kind of levels we saw early last year. So hopefully, as the economy opens up, we can be confident of quite a big bounce into the summer. Certainly, that's what we're hearing from members across uh, across the board at the moment. And we're hopeful that 2021 is going to be a good year for the industry. The latest measure that we'll see, see of that coming out of the REC is on the 12th of March, when you'll get the latest jobs recovery tracker. That, of course, is our scrape of all the jobs boards, the number of vacancies that have been posted in the last few weeks. And look out for that for a signal of a, a, 
uh, hopefully a turnaround in the number of uh, jobs postings that are taking place as we head into March and begin to think about moving out of lockdown. Uh, I am one of uh, many millions of working parents who is delighted that uh, the kids are back in school. The home education uh, experiment is over, although I have to say that my maths is a lot better in the second week of March than it was in the first week of January because of the amount of stuff I've had to Google uh, since uh, since taking ownership of maths teaching for uh, for uh, for the uh, the little Carberries. Uh, now let's turn to our guest for today. I'm delighted to welcome Carmen Watson to the pod. Carmen's the chair of the Pertemps Network Group. Carmen, it's a real delight to have you with us. Thank you, Neil, and good to be uh, speaking with you again. And thank you very much for inviting me today. We've been doing quite a lot together recently in terms of you've been very involved in our recruitment and recovery campaign. Thank you for doing that video for us for launch day. But also we've been working with government in in different places. And of course, uh, the business Pertence Network Group is a, a, has a really widespread over over the UK. Perhaps uh, we could kick off by you telling us a little bit about uh, the business over the last 12 months as it's navigated these really uncertain and different times and some of the challenges that you've had to face up to as a leadership team. I think it's fair to say, Neil, that any of our listeners on the podcast today have probably all had a very challenging time, whether that be business or, or personal, and we've certainly not been immune to that. Um, the past year has been fairly hideous, not to put too fine a point on it. Um, and the reason I say that is Pertems uh, reaches its 60th birthday um, this year. So as you can imagine, over time, we've been through lots of traumatic periods. But the difference with this one, as opposed to previous sort of recessions, is that in the past, all boats sort of sank at the same time and you, you kind of knew where you were. Um, during this pandemic, we found that some boats have gone down and gone right to the bottom of the water and others seem to have got bigger and stronger. And, you know, maybe we can talk about those um, a little bit later on. But the mantra um, of Pertence is ever so simple, manage change and exceed expectations. Very simple words, but I can tell you now, never have those simple words been tested quite so much. So to contextualise some of the challenges, I mean, when we started um, the, the year um, in 20, we were in a very healthy uh, position. We had our Project 2020 as our main focus. You mentioned earlier about our group and it being diverse. We've got 15 specialist uh, sectors. We trade in 55 individual disciplines, accountancy, finance, education, IT, medical care, blue and white collar, just to name but a few. So Project 2020 was all about engendering greater collaboration with the clients in mind, bringing those entities together. They'd previously traded autonomously. And we were looking for closer working relationships, more integration with clients and sharing best practice in recruitment. The figures were great. We were ahead of budget. The comms plan was working well. And we were generally set for a fantastic year. <laughs> then the, the C19 news broke. And oh my goodness me. So we'd moved from that position to daily, uh, twice daily COVID meetings because the speed of the uncertainty and the change was rapid and it really, really felt like everything was getting out of control. 
Um, we had all the panic buying and rationing in the supermarkets that gave huge demand for our contract teams for the food sector. But then by the 23rd of March, the UK had locked down. So our branches were working very differently. Um, some had closed down, some were on part time, some remained fully open to support the key workers. And we had to, you know, basically digitise the office and um, get mobile capability out to every one of our workers. Now, we're a local jobs for local people employer. So that's why we have the 200 branches around. And we were just sat there watching the revenue of those branches continue to fall. And truthfully, um, many of those branches were on a critical list and on close watch. Perm recruitment at the time was at an all time low. It was very, very serious times. Um, the situation continued until uh, May, which we officially named our Pertemps ground uh, zero, COVID ground zero. But the converse of that, which is interesting, is the contract customers were busier than ever. So there was new business then starting to emerge from the pandemic. Parcel deliveries on the back of all the home shopping, the e-commerce, that went crazy. Uh, COVID-related projects around the manufacturing and distribution of, the support to the retail industry. I mean, we saw that side of the business grow exponentially. So there was a real yin and yang um, going on. We couldn't have done it without our staff. We can't thank them enough for, you know, just the absolute grit and determination to get through it. So while we were busy organising PPE risk assessments like we've never done before, in readiness to get back into the offices on uh, May the 26th, the staff were just busy working away. So we go back into the office on May the 26th. There was opportunity everywhere. You just had to find it in a particular location. So with all the gloom and doom, it was tough. But that's what family businesses do. They cling together and goodness me, everybody pulled together last year. So while we thought Project 2020, which was our aim for the year, had been put on hold, what we realised is by the end of the year, we had actually achieved it just in a very different way. I absolutely get that because the, the sense of, um, and to be honest, it, 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 I would make a similar reflection about the REC team and how we pulled together mm-hmm. during last year. Uh, that sense of just busting down uh, yeah. barriers between different bits of the business to get focused on what you need to do seems to me to be something that has been a powerful lesson for mm-hmm. for lots of us in uh, in business over the over the last uh, year or so it's certainly what enables you to to move quickly when your clients and the market is 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 moving quickly a- ahead of you i mean what what do you think the big things that uh, per tense have learned over the last year you, know, you talk about uh, project 2020 and uh, more effective working across the group what does that feel like today as we look into, you know, hopefully we're we're looking into a final kind of springboard out of this uh, COVID-19 uh, uh, period, uh, you know, with the vaccines being rolled out. Uh, what are the things you're taking into the recovery that you think actually, 
you know, we wouldn't have wished for the pandemic to happen. It's been horrid in lots of ways, but we're mm. a stronger business because of what we've learned. Yes, we most definitely are. And, you know, I have to put the the people front line and centre of, of, of that, Neil, because, you know, I speak about, you know, some of the challenges on the uh, contract side of things, you know, where we were really supporting the whole pandemic projects. And we were getting orders of upwards of 27,000 a day. Um, there is no way we would have been able to do that without the, you know, the dedication and the teams. And that's where the, the cross-organisational uh, piece really worked. So we would have consultants in specialist uh, recruitment areas. They might be recruiting financial directors, for example. And, you know, because their market wasn't there, they were still working and helping us to fill drivers so that we could get these parcel deliveries out. You know, we'd have graphic design going out and stacking shells. I mean, it was a, when I say pulled together, I mean really pulled together. And that cross-organisational um, working is something that we most dearly want to uh, protect going forward. So what we have to think about is how we can harness that and have that become the norm, but do it in a sustainable way. Because I think what happened um, during that year, it was very much the survival instinct kicked in. Um, you know, everybody knuckled down and battened down the hatches. But, you know, we really, really want to be able to, to, to keep that moving forward. And I think also it just showed us how resilient and flexible um, our employees could be. I think technology was a huge enabler to that. Um, as I said, you know, to try and uh, deal with 27,000 orders. I mean, that was fantastic for us when all the messages out there were gloom and doom, you know, and we were absolutely, you know, rocking and rolling at that point. But without the technology to do all the digital registration, the video interviewing, the onboarding, the cloud technology, so that, you, you know, you'd got this anywhere, any place, any time um, contact, it, I, it's just incredible, really. So, and, and the good news is we were already a long way down the track with the digitalisation uh, programme and the candidate journey that we've been looking at for some time. But thank heavens we were, because I think for businesses that hadn't got that in place, it would probably have been, um, you know, quite a struggle, really. So, um, so yes, I think those are the, are the key things. I think what we've learned from the client perspective is I think definitely the days of nine till five in the office. Uh, are unlikely to return for a lot of organisations. Anecdotally, we're hearing that um, some companies are going to be doing the home first, office if you need to. Others will do office first, home if you need to. But I would say the, the biggest uh, proportion are definitely the hybrid model of three days in an office and two days working from home. Um, we know that some of our clients um, are looking to reduce locations by 20, and 40 to, 20 to 40%. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that changes the dynamic. Also, I think there's a, you mentioned productivity. I think there's been some interesting debates on productivity. And I don't think there'll be a particular surprise to you, but it's definitely feedback that we're getting that those job roles where there are specific tasks or those that are handling strategic work um, that involves many, many meetings, I think organisations have been able to say they're much more productive. Mm. versus the roles that require the creativity, the collaboration with other people generally have been less so. So they've been quite keen to get back into an office. 
that's really interesting, Carmen, because I, I, I think about this a lot. And the home first or office first, mm-hmm. and if you need two options, they're, they're probably easier for companies to deliver. But there's probably greater productivity and growth if for those companies who can get hybrid right. And I think, uh, and, you know, and I think recruitment and staffing firms are, ha- are, are certainly amongst the group of bi- businesses that have this challenge because it is about you know, what do we need co-working for you know mm-hmm. thinking about our younger members of staff who who need exposure to uh to to the team to learn to uh, maybe that after all maybe they live in a flat share or they live still live mm-hmm. with mum and dad and you you can jump on a call and someone's sitting on their bed or something like that's not ideal yes. work working conditions um mm-hmm. at, at the same time there's the creatives as you mentioned there's a big kind of there's a lot of change happening in terms of how we work that i think will take a while to play out and that you know it, it's almost it, even if the survival instinct's gone for recruiters because we we expect a recovery i think the ones who are going to be well positioned to prosper in that recovery are probably going to be fleet-footed enough to to react to how clients are reshaping their business i think so and i and i also feel as well neil i I mean i hate the term war for talent because it's been around for so long but even though we're probably going to see, um, sadly, um, unemployment figures rise, which gives you a sense that there are more people on the market, I think there will still be talent shortages for um, some of these key areas. And um, I think the challenge for employers is those talented people that are looking for work and they meet the criteria that's required today, their expectation has changed and they are going to want to work for companies that can demonstrate that flexibility um, and the new ways of working. And I think the other challenge for organisations is how do you keep it fair and how do you ensure that people that can and do work from home get the same opportunities as the people that are office-based um, so there's all sorts of things, I think, that need to play out. And, um, you know, we we sponsor the uh, CBI uh, report, and I don't know whether you've seen that. We, we, we do it every year. But, um, you know, huge surveys undertaken and, and absolutely, you know, it plays to that point. You know, companies are having to look at flexible working arrangements. They're having to look at pay and restructuring. They're having to look at contracts that will manage the change. And I think the other two issues that fall underneath that are young people and uh, female uh, workforce have been hardest hit by by the pandemic. So, you know, businesses are really, really going to have to look at how they can embrace that particular those particular populations and how they can bring them into you know the workforce of the future how are they going to use apprenticeships how are they going to use traineeships can they use the kickstart program you know to help these people be equipped an even more frightening um, statistic because it really did uh, wobble me when i when i uh, read it is that there's a billion people that are going to be need that are going to need to be upskilled and reskilled by 2030 if we are to meet the demands of the new jobs coming through that piece around the scale of the challenge is enormous yeah. and thank you for men- mentioning the CBI employment trends survey which uh, uh, as you know I spent a number of years uh, looking after in a previous life yeah. uh, the um the that piece around 
the retraining challenge, but also I think not sticking our heads in the sand about the resourcing challenge we face here in the UK. Mm -hmm. Because while we've had a one in 200 years recession over Mm -hmm. the last 18 months, we need to remember that it now looks as though unemployment will peak quite a bit lower than it did after the great financial crisis. And actually, you know, as you mentioned, we're already seeing some sectors where, where talent is scarce. I think the the issue is not likely to be in a 18 months time, the lack of jobs. It's going to be the uh, how we get the people that there are to the jobs that there are. And I think that's a big, a big challenge to the client side in terms of how they think about their workforce planning. And, you know, what do we build as in bringing people in uh, early career, what do we buy? What do we hire perm, and what do we borrow through uh, through firms like Pertemps and and other REC members? And I think, yeah, that that piece around the importance of workforce planning, I think, goes right to the heart of the work that we've done together on recruitment and recovery. I think. Yes, I think so too. It's reported that there's 97 million jobs to be created. Um, over a period, all linking to um, AI and the digital yeah. AI and the care industry. So, if you think of the areas now that have been most severely hit, um, uh, hospitality, passenger aviation, engineering, automotive. So, we know some of those industries are just absolutely going to bounce back, aren't they? It's just a, a question of time. But where are we going to, how are we going to match, where are we going to get these people from that are going to fill the, the AI and, and care requirements going forward? So again, those are some interesting pieces of work that I think perhaps, you know, recruitment companies working alongside REC can maybe do some more research on and uh, put some planning of our own in place so that we're equipped to help our clients with that, because I think it's going to be another interesting one to deal with. I think that's right. And there's this whole thing about kind of being true consultants to to clients yeah. that, that that's really important. I think technology and, you know, friend of the REC, Rob McCargo, and I were talking earlier in the week. And Rob's the former guest on the pod and, uh, and AI mm-hmm. lead for uh, uh, PwC. And Rob was saying the big difference in his life now is he used to go to recruitment conferences to talk about technology and AI. Uh, and he was kind of a curiosity because he was talking about what might happen in five or seven years time. And now he's uh, top of the bill and talking about what's happening right now. And clearly the technology and the efficiency and the productivity of our services are it's absolutely critical that you, you said yourself earlier, Carmen, that, techno- mm-hmm. that the, the, the technology is not optional. Uh, but actually, the value is in how we help clients plan for this highly complex staffing world. And, and that requires, you, you put the focus on part-time staff earlier, it, that, that requires that kind of true consultancy delivered by our, our, our workforce, doesn't it? Well, it, it absolutely does. The World Economic Forum um, that had predicted the 1 billion people to train for 2030, and what they were also saying is 42% of the core skills that are required for existing jobs will change in a couple of years. So coming back to your uh, point around our own consultants, um, yes, they, we have to engage with the, the top talent ourselves. We have to make sure that they are equipped to deal with these changes and, and I guess, the rapid nature of the changes, because I think some of these 
some of these roles will be coming in sooner than we think. And I think the pandemic will have brought, um, will have brought that about. It leads to another point, though, Neil, in that whilst technology absolutely is critical and we can't do without it, some would argue that the technology itself um, can pose a challenge in that it can create biases that wouldn't ordinarily be there. So, you know, it, 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 it's looking at it from that perspective as well. You know, one of the things that we did last year at the REC that was maybe a bit less pandemic driven was support some work from the Centre for Data Ethics and Innovation mm-hmm. about the use of automation and AI in recruitment. And I do think I think there's a really big challenge to the sector in this, which is there are obviously massive productivity uh, performance improvements to come from using technology well. But if if it's used in a way that does in, increase and emphasize biases in the process and there's some there there are one or two sort of famously horrific examples of that including the one in germany where the where, where the ai is reading the titles of the books on your bookshelf on the video interview which oh, yes. kind of completely <laughs> horrified by there's a real risk that actually we end up with regulatory action that locks out that advantage and you're you know you're a real kind of leader you know not just in our industry but you know uh, uh, more widely um in terms of uh you know though you work with the cbi i know you've done work with the iod in the past as well i think that piece around how we as an industry make sure we're properly inclusive is going to be absolutely critical what would your observations be in terms of what we can do collectively to to really make a difference. So the work that you're referring to, Neil, came on the back of negative press about agencies not being able to do their bit to support um, a client's DNI objectives. But I'd also had the benefit of hearing the other side where recruitment companies were saying they'd try to push the boundaries and they got kicked back. Well, I'm enormously passionate about our industry, as you know, and the great work that we do. So if I hear any form of negative commentary, then I do tend to get straight onto it. So in this latest um, scenario, I approach the client to understand their issues. And with their support, uh, we set up seminars that 82 recruitment firms um, got involved with, uh, together with, obviously, uh, REC. And we've got a hard core of them now that have committed to continuing work streams just to look at best practice. We've developed a really open, honest, collaborative group. And those firms are made up of niche players right through to the major players. And we're looking at best practice. and But at the same time, what suppliers can feel comfortable to commit to, but then they can work with that solution and deliver it in a way that suits them. So we've made uh, a tremendous first step in what I think will be an ever-involving journey. And what's clear, Neil, from this is that most of the collective corporate clients that we have have got D&I right at the top of their board agenda. And what I'm even more pleased about is that we're taking a holistic approach to this. Um, The danger of running with the latest news outbreak is it feels a bit like the Olympics. 
So you run the race and then you're you finish and you're on to the next. Well, we're not doing that. We're taking a much more holistic view so that we can address ethnicity, gender, but also all of the other protected characteristics too, so that we're not just dealing with populist issues, but we're coming up with a long-term sustainable solution that gives us clear and measurable results. I mean, we've been working this way at Pertens for quite some time now, and a further mission is really to review our own internal processes. We as recruiters must, absolutely must, um, be able to demonstrate our own diversity and inclusion. Uh, and we shouldn't have it in the business as a standalone, look at every interaction, do a feels fair test and correct what isn't right. Um, so those would be my immediate thoughts. Um, the other advice would be work closely with customers, understand where their business is at, what their top priorities are over and above recruitment and how through that provision of talent, we as recruiters can help them to achieve their objectives. Understand the issues that are coming down the line, the skills shortages and how we're going to reskill. Improve the diversity of our contingent workforce, building a pipeline of skills from the local communities and education sector. And then my final two are act in an advisory capacity and really add value to the clients because I think so many of them are desperate to get the whole diversity and inclusion thing right, but often um, would welcome some input on how to do that. And then my final uh, comment is protect the professionalism of our industry. That, that would be my advice to my co-recruiters. I think the the challenge for us as an industry is to live the values that that we preach to clients yes and i think that will help us make a difference for clients and it will build more successful recruitment companies and you know i'd, I'd come back to what you said carmen which is this isn't about having a nice thing to say it's about how you run your business it's not about the things that run alongside your business Mm -hmm. um, and that's that's certainly where we are going with some new work that we're doing through this year at, at the REC. So I'll look forward to continuing to work with you on all of that, because I think there's a there's a big challenge there, but also a big opportunity for us as recruiters. Well, I think so, too. And, you know, just coming back to your um, REC um, survey where they're talking about seven point seven billion a year. Uh, is the estimated productivity uh, from the people that uh, recruitment firms place. I mean, that is just so apparent that the biggest driver for success um, for our recruitment firms is the quality of our own staff. So, you know, we really do, um, you know, need to support them in every way that we can. We have to keep the learning and development going so that they are equipped in every way. Um, and also provide really, really good career paths for them. I mean, we're an employee benefit trust, and, and I, I have to be honest with you, our entire focus is how we can look after our staff, how we can, you know, create a, a, a really good future for them um, through our EBT scheme. And um, I think other organisations need to look at that as well, because you know, they, they certainly need looking after for the future. 
I always welcome an opportunity when the ball comes across uh, the goal to nod it into the net. So the, uh, the recruitment and recovery uh, report is at rec.uk.com forward slash recruitment recovery. Thank you for that. And for joining us on the pod uh, today, Carmen, uh, it's been a real pleasure to have you on. Yes, yeah, good to speak with you too. And uh, thank you to all of you for joining us at, on uh, this episode of Talking Recruitment, the REC podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, why not check out our back catalogue, a couple of good episodes, uh, episode two and three for 2021 uh, on the upcoming IR35 changes, which of course after the budget on the 3rd of March have now been confirmed as coming in in the private sector or have a look at episode four our last episode with the social mobility commission looking at some of the same issues that we've just been discussing with carmen today so thanks again to carmen and thanks to all of you for joining us join us again on another episode of talking recruitment the rec podcast thank you for listening and i hope you enjoyed this podcast join me for another episode soon and check out our back catalogue at rec.uk.com to catch up on some other fantastic discussions that are really helpful for recruiters. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. So subscribe to REC Podcasts to never miss an episode.